Today's passage is from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1-5. through 5. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois, and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. The grass withers and the flowers fade. All right, if we haven't had the privilege of meeting yet, my name is Aaron, and I am one of the pastors here at Exilic. And uh, I do want to welcome back the 80 women that were at our women's retreat this past weekend. Uh, I, uh, I was officiating a wedding uh, about 10 minutes away, so I got to stop by for a little bit. And um, I wish you could have heard all the laughter just pouring out of the room. Uh, because of the good time that they were having. They even had a Zumba session uh, yesterday. It was, it was either Zumba or dancing to K-pop from the 90s. I, I couldn't tell what the difference was, but you could just feel the energy and the happiness that was there. And so one of the great things about retreats is that it fast forwards new relationships and it deepens existing ones in an expedited way. And so I'm, I'm so glad for the 80 of you that were able to go. For the rest of us who did not uh, go to that retreat, uh, one way for us to fast forward relationships is to register for a community group this month. And they'll be starting off in a few weeks. And so that's another way of onboarding to our church and getting connected to our church family as well. And um, one last housekeeping thing for all the dudes. Uh, in the new year, we will have our own retreat as well. So it's not a matter of if, but when. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Okay. So last week, we embarked on a new uh, sermon series, a collection of sermons on 2 Timothy. This was Paul's second letter that he writes to Timothy in what would be his final letter that he ever wrote before he was executed and beheaded for following Jesus. And so we're going to be taking a look at this letter that he writes to Timothy from now, basically until Christmas time, in a collection of sermons that we're calling From Embers to a Flame. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to make a campfire before or ever, you know, made a fire in your parents' fireplace, um, but after you make that fire, it's only a matter of time before that fire quickly becomes an ember. And so what do you have to do to, to that ember? You have to fan it back into flame. And just so you know, this is a normal part of our spiritual pilgrimage, which can be very long. There are times where our faith is like a bonfire, and there are times especially over the past couple of years where our faith can become cold like an ember. And it's during these times we had to fan this ember back into a flame lest that fire go out. And sometimes we need the help of our mothers and fathers to help stoke that flame. And that was the case for Timothy because he had two mothers, a grandmother named Lois and a mother named Eunice that helped fan the flame for him. So let me introduce you to Lois and Eunice via my grandmother. In three months, my grandmother is going to turn 
100 years old. Um, my grandmother, pre-pandemic, she had a short perm. She hasn't gone to the salon in like three years, so her hair now, her white hair is now down to her waist in a braid. So it's, it's really you know, weird for me to see her like this, but she, she has a very special place in my heart because my grandmother is the one that raised me. But there's another reason why my grandmother is very important in our family. Uh, and the reason for that is because when you take a look at our family tree, she is the first to break the generational pattern of atheists in my family. Prior to her, it was generation after generation after generation of atheists. My grandmother is the first to become a Christian in our family. And here in Paul's letter to Timothy, he talks about Timothy's spiritual lineage, and in verse 5 he writes this. Paul says to Timothy, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. So there's not a lot that we know about Lois and Eunice, but what we do know is that Lois represents the first generation of Christians in Timothy's family. Eunice represents the second generation of Christians, and now Timothy is third generation Christian, and he's the first generation, the first to be in pastoral uh, ministry. And one of the cool things about our church is that there are actually a good amount of Loises in our community where you are the first person to be a Christian in your entire family tree. Some of you are Eunice's, where you're a second-generation Christian. Others of you are Timothy, where you are a third-generation. And so one of the things that I want us to think about uh, this afternoon is what are some things that you can do to pass on your faith from one generation to the next? You know, one of the the differences between old money and new money. Old money passes down their wealth from generation to generation to generation. With new money, though, the narrative is usually something like rags to riches to rags. And so what are some things that you can do to pass on your faith from one generation to the next? And while nothing is guaranteed because some, some mothers and fathers do all the right things, and at the end of the day, it is up to the next generation or child to decide what they want to do, while nothing is guaranteed. At the very least, Lois and Eunice did two things. They were very intentional, and they started early. And so if you take a look at verse 14 and 15, it says this, but as for you, continue in what you have learned, he says to Timothy and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, Lois and Eunice, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. One of the interesting things that Lois and Eunice do here is that they are very intentional about teaching Timothy the Word of God since he was just an infant. Now, if you take a look at Barna, Pew, NAE, any major research organization and survey company, they will say this, for when most people become Christian, 97% of Christians became Christians at 30 and under. 91% of Christians became Christian 22 and under. 
And only 3% of people became Christian after the age of 30. Now, when you see these statistics, particularly the skeptical amongst us, you might say, well, it's kind of obvious. It's because when you're a college student and younger, you're naive and gullible. That's why you become religious and superstitious. Perhaps. Perhaps. But we can also flip the tables just as easily as well and say that when you get old, you become a stubborn curmudgeon that is set in your ways and you refuse to change because of how proud you are, even though you might be wrong. Can we just as easily do that? And so I think a better way of looking at these statistics is to view our hearts like wet cement. Have you ever put your hand on wet cement before or your feet on wet cement? Wet cement is very moldable and shapeable. And similarly, it is with our hearts. And so one of the things that Lois and Eunice do at a very early age is they're molding and shaping Timothy's heart. Now, just so you know that the moment we are born, everything is molding and shaping our hearts. We are bombarded with stories from all over the place, from all throughout our culture. Some are good stories, some not so good stories. And so whether it's social media, TikTok, Instagram, Netflix, Disney, our universities, our elementary school systems, our coworkers, our office space, our peers, we are bombarded with stories telling us where we came from, our identity, who you are, what is the meaning and purpose of life, morality and ethics, and our destiny, what happens after we die. We are constantly being shaped by stories. And so we can passively wait so that the next generation is informed that they are nothing more than a sophisticated gorilla that can build Teslas and fly to the moon, that that's who you are. Or we can actively say, actually, who you really are is a child of God that is made uh, in his image. Lois and Eunice were very intentional about imparting the word of God to Timothy at a very young age. And I want to um, take this time to speak to um, some of the moms and dads, the tired moms and dads in our church, and future moms and dads. Uh, John Tyson has written a book called Primal Path. It's a book from a father to a son. He also does a podcast called The Intentional Family that he hosts with Jefferson Bethke. Probably one of the best pods I've ever heard on parenting is 20 minutes per episode. And one of the things that they say on the pod is that there are five kinds of mothers and fathers, and they all start with the letter I. The first kind of mother and father is the irresponsible mother or father. This is the kind of parent that has no business being a mom or dad. They're abusive, they're absent, they're neglectful. They have no business being a mother or father. The second kind of parent that we see is the ignorant parent. They don't know anything about childhood development or childhood adolescence and molding and shaping the child into the right way. The third kind of parent that we see is the inconsistent parent. I don't know if you've ever seen the documentary about Anthony Bourdain. He had a daughter later on in his second marriage. And Bourdain had grandiose visions about being the best dad in the world. He idolized his daughter. The only problem was he also 
idolized his work. And so every time he'd be traveling the world, eating decadent food, the moment he came back home, he would bring all of these toys and gifts for his daughter because he wanted to be super dad. But then he'd be pulled back away to work, and it would kill him. And so he was a good dad, but he was an inconsistent dad. The fourth kind of mother or father is the involved mother or father. This is the mom or dad that takes you to the soccer games. They do the sex talk. They help you open up a bank account. They, they're, they're with you, right? They're very involved uh, in your life. And by the way, if you, if, you, if you grew up with an involved parent in your life, you have no idea how lucky you are. You have no idea how lucky you are. But there is one kind of parent that is above an involved parent, and that is the intentional parent. The intentional parent understands how each of their kids are hardwired and made up. So I'll give you an example. I'm a girl dad. got two girls, six and four, night and day. The first one is like borderline OCD perfectionist. When she eats, her plate is like all the food is segregated perfectly, and she eats one thing at a time. My second, I could put like a tire on the plate. She'll devour it. One is like, you know, very well-mannered. The other is a free spirit. The other needs words of affirmation. The other needs a lot of touch. Night and day, totally different. However, and so how I relate to them is very different. But even though they're different, I want them to be the same person. I want them to be like Jesus. That is my vision, my goal, my King Arthur dream, as it were, for my kids to be like Jesus. Now, why? Why am I intentionally doing that for, for my girls? We'll give you an example of this. Jean-Paul Sartre, existentialist philosopher, he wrote a series of lectures called Existentialism as a Humanism. And in, if you read the lectures, there's one example of a penknife. We don't use penknives anymore, but they're the kind of knives that help you open the envelope so you don't have to use your hands. Let me, let me contemporize Sartre's example of a penknife. And what he says is this. Uh, let me contemporize it. So imagine for a moment you're, you're Steve Jobs. You make the latest new iPhone, super, super high tech. So he tells Siri, Siri, I want you to send a text to so-and-so. And so Siri goes, no, I don't want to. And you're like, okay, but that's kind of why I made you. So can you go and send a text to so-and-so, and, 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 and Siri says, no, I, 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 I want to be the eighth dancer for BTS. That, that is my calling and vision for my life. And so you're like, okay, first of all, you, you don't even have a body, so how are you going to be an eighth dancer for BTS? That's not how I made you, and that's not why I made you. How were you made? Lanternfly that everyone is squishing? A tree? A rock? No. How were you made? You were made in the image of God. Why were you made then? To be in a relationship with him. My girls are made in my, my and Hannah's image, and we're, they're made to be in a relationship with me. That's the telos. That's the vision. That's why we're here. Just as a penknife is made to, to cut envelopes open, just as a phone is made to send texts, we are made to be in a meaningful relationship with God our Father. And so what that means is, if our vision for the next generation is just the best strollers, 
best education, live a comfortable life that is completely pain-free by wrapping them up in bubble tape, sending them to the best college, get married, and you have to make me a grandfather so that I can be happy. If that, if that is the vision that we have for the next generation, that is a fulfillment of the American dream but not necessarily God's dream for us, which is to love him and to love our neighbors. But it all depends on what you think your vision for your own life is first. That's where everything begins if we're going to pass down our faith from one generation to the next. In Mark 8, 36, Jesus says this, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? It's far better to forfeit the world and gain your soul than to gain the whole world and yet forfeit our soul. And so here are three easy steps to raise secular kids. Number one, fit church into your schedule when it's convenient. Number, number two, devalue the message by living a church life and a different home life. And number three, give higher priority to school and sports activities than church involvement, and it is as easy as one, two, three. We do that, and the repercussions are what Judges 2, 8, and 10 say when it says, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Israel's story could have easily been Joshua's story, rags to riches, back to rags. But the reason why this was not Timothy's story was because he had two mothers in his life, Lois and Eunice, who imparted the word of God to him ever since he was young. And one of the interesting things about this letter that Paul writes to Timothy is that while he mentions Timothy's grandmother and mother, Timothy's father is conspicuously absent from this letter. And the question is, why? Well, when you take a look at Acts chapter 16, verse 1, the very first time Paul ever meets Timothy in his hometown, it says, as Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. Now, we know that Timothy had a dad. But what's interesting about this verse is that while it mentions Timothy's mother and her faith, Paul only mentions Timothy's, Timothy's dad's ethnicity, but he doesn't mention his faith at all. And so it's very possible while the mom was a Christian, the dad was not. But what's interesting here is that even though Timothy didn't have an earthly father that was a spiritual father, in many ways he did. Because how does this letter open up? In verse 2, Paul says to Timothy, to Timothy, my dear son. Timothy did have a spiritual father, and his father was Paul. Paul, who never got married, never had sex, never had his own biological kids, and yet Paul refers to Timothy as his dear son. He was a spiritual father figure to Timothy. 
And I think one of the things that we can see from this text is that when it comes to our church family, we are not just a family of brothers and sisters or sons and daughters, but we are also a family of mothers and fathers as well. Up until this point, if you don't have sons and daughters, you might have been thinking, well, this, this sermon is completely irrelevant to me because I'm not a mom or dad yet. But when we get to passages like this where Paul didn't have his own biological kids but refers to Timothy as his son, what that means then is that we are also called not only to be brothers and sisters, but we are called to be mothers and fathers as well. And here's why this is so important. Jay Stringer, mental health therapist, he says that 63% of people wanted more of their father's involvement. Maybe you're one of the 63%. 39% wanted more of their mother's involvement based on his research. Sometimes our mothers and fathers left us longing for another mother or father. One of the interesting phenomenons that has happened over the past five years is the meteoric rise of Jordan Peterson. Now, I don't know if you know who Jordan Peterson is, but he's quickly becoming a household name because he is a Canadian psychologist and philosopher who specializes in the works of Carl Jung. Okay, now if what I just said to you is like, whoosh, like I have no idea what you just said. You know what's so fascinating about Jordan Peterson? Dude packs out arenas. And I am not condoning everything that Peterson has to say, just so you know. But what I, am, what I do see is that here is a man that packs out arenas with no lights, no smoke, no dancing, no football being thrown, but the dude packs out arenas. You know what's really fascinating about the people that show up to this arena? You know what, what is the predominant demographic that show up to these lectures? Young men. Here is this gentle Canadian telling men to be men, and he packs the entire house. And the reason for that is because we are all looking for some kind of mother or father figure uh, in our life. And what better place to find it than the church? Now, immediately, you might be thinking, <laughs> I, I can't do that. Like, I can't be a role model or an example to someone else. Like, imposter syndrome, can't do it like too much pressure or commitment. I don't want to be responsible for someone else's life. Well, did you know that in my daughter's school, they have mentorship activities where sixth graders read to kindergartners, 12, 13-year-olds that read to six-year-olds, and the 12-year-olds never say, I, I, can't, I can't do this. I don't have a PhD in literature. Like there is no way I can read to a kindergartner. No, they do it. When I was a sophomore in college, I led a Bible study for freshmen that were just one year younger than me. When I was a junior or a senior, I was cooking for underclassmen. I don't know how many people's hair I cut during the four years I was in college. I used to have a line out my bedroom door. A line out. We all had the same haircuts, too. <laughs> exactly I only know how to cut it one way. Line out my door. I, I, I helped with their classes. I prayed with them. We are not just called to be brothers and sisters and sons and daughters. Otherwise, we would all be spiritual orphans. But we are called to be mothers and fathers as well. 
And if you think you are ready to get married, and I know a lot of you do, and if you are married, and if you want to have kids, if you're willing to support the weight of another adult for the rest of your life, day after day after day, I, can, I promise you that is far harder than being a spiritual mother or father to someone else. We are not just called to be brothers and sisters, but we are also called to be mothers and fathers as well. I don't know everyone's story, but if your story is similar to mine, I grew up in the church. And I know that some of you have been in the church for 10, 20, some of you for over 30 years. And at a certain point, we cannot just be brothers and sisters or sons and daughters. At a certain point, we do have to be mothers and fathers for the next generation. Uh, one, of the, one of the other interesting things that have been happening lately is that some of my friends have been sending their kids to our church because they're dropping them off in college. <laughs> and I've also met some other parents uh, that have dropped their kids off here in the city because of college too. And, and you know what the message is every single time? Can you please take care of my kids? And what I say is, of course, of course, we will take care of your kids. But the good news is I'm not the only father here. We have hundreds of spiritual mothers and fathers that can take care of the sons and daughters in our family. And the reason why we act this way, in verse 2, Paul says to Timothy in his opening letter to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Christianity is the only faith, the only religion in the world that refers to God as a father. No other religion refers to God as a father. And what is God the Father like? Well, 10 years ago, before I popped the question to my wife, I asked her parents' permission uh, to marry their daughter. And I said to my mother-in-law and father-in-law, I told them, I want you to know that you are not losing your daughter, but I want you to know that you're gaining a son. They love that. And uh, they're like, okay. They're like, Truth, truthfully, they, they didn't gain another son. They get another mouth to feed, you know. The truth of the matter is, they didn't gain a son. I gained a mother and father. My, our first year of marriage, we lived in their basement rent-free. They cooked for me. They cleaned for me. My mother-in-law did my laundry, which is crazy. And now they spend all their energy taking care of their granddaughters. They didn't gain a son. I gained a mother and father. They adopted me into their family. In the words of Ruth, your people will be my people. They took me in. And what is the gospel all about? God the Father sending our elder brother, Jesus Christ, forsaking him for our sins, because our sins were dumped on him so that we could be adopted into the family of believers. And what kinds of sins? 
our prolonged adolescence, our self-centeredness, our desire to only live for ourselves. Instead of investing in people, we just invest in our education, our work, our portfolios, our resume, crypto, NFTs, you name it, everything but other people. For failing to live for something bigger and better than ourselves, he died for all of those things and adopted us into his family. And if God is willing to sacrifice his only son because of his love for us, we should be willing to sacrifice our time, our money, our prayers, whatever it takes to be mothers and fathers for the next generation as well. Now, if you're thinking to yourself right now, sign me up. I want a spiritual mother or father. That's great. You know what the worst thing you can do is? Coming up to someone and saying, can, can you mentor me? Can you be my discipler? Can you be my spiritual? Because it's going to freak older people out because they don't know what to do when you say something like that. You know what a better approach is? Adding value to someone else's life. Hey, can I buy you a cup of coffee? Hey, can I buy you lunch? Hey, can I come over and watch your kids? Hey, hey, can I add value to their li your life? And while you're hanging around them, rubbing shoulders with them, you organically ask questions like, how in the world do you maintain your faith in this industry because I'm about to lose it? H how are you single and secure because I am incredibly insecure and I don't know how you look so composed and secure? You ask them questions like that and before you know it, a relationship is born. And for those of you who are mothers and fathers and there are a lot of you that are here, especially if you've grown up in the church your whole life. It doesn't take a lot. Paul just says to Timothy, I'm praying for you. It doesn't take a lot of things to invest in other people. It's just a lot of little things. Texting someone, sending food to someone, loving on someone, listening to someone. It doesn't take a lot of big things. All it takes is some little things to invest and the next generation. The church is not a place we attend or a place we go to. The church is a people we belong to. We are not just sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, but we are also called to be mothers and fathers for others, just like God our Father. Let's pray together. Lord, help us to be the kind of parent that you are to us, sacrificial, generous, forgiving, loving, always there for us, kind, compassionate, just there, present. And I'm praying that we can do that for one another as well in our community, in our family. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.